Thank you, worship team. Thank you all for being here, too. It's, um, it blesses uh, our hearts to see uh, people who are curious and excited about um, Scripture and, and God's way of doing things, God's His grace, um, and the family that He creates in the Spirit. So thank you all for being here. Uh, if you've uh, been with us any length of time, you know that we're in a series called A Fresh Look at the Old Book. We're taking a look at uh, texts that may be familiar, even if you're not a church person, you've heard of these people. Like right now we're talking about Joseph, um, and so you might remember the Joseph with a many-colored coat. Uh, we've been on him for a little while. Uh, and if you have been in church for a long time you're know with, and you're familiar with these stories, the idea is to take a different kind of spin on them, look at them in a different way, and see if maybe God can speak in fresh and exciting ways uh, to us through texts that we might be overly familiar with. Um, so hopefully, whether you're familiar or not familiar, there's something here um, to bless and to transform. While we're doing that, I would like to, you to think about what you, how you think, um, the, what, the, what you think the relationship is between what God does and what we do. This is a question that comes up probably in everyone's life if you really believe that there's a God out there. And you think that God has something to do with us. You may at some time wonder what's the relationship between what God does and what we do. And I want to share with you a couple of things I've heard over the years, and maybe you have too. Uh, I remember when I was in uh, junior high school, I heard during a, uh, a chapel or like a ceremony, like a graduation ceremony, a couple of parents were um, blessing their child, and uh, they were giving their child kind of advice for life. And the advice was this, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard this? God helps those who help themselves. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting, that's cool, that's an interesting way of thinking. And so presumably, if that's the case, then what happens is um, you're trying to live a, a life or whatever, and so you get to work doing what you do, and you're, uh, you're doing your thing, and as long as you're kind of focused and doing what you're doing, then somehow, almost magically perhaps, God comes and blesses or empowers or strengthens what you're up to, but really you're kind of initiating God's, uh, your work, and that kind of draws God in. Okay, that's, so that's one very common way of thinking about the relationship between what God does and what we do. Another one that I've heard is uh, let go and let God. And this, so this one sort of imagines that you're driving the car. And, uh, and you're like speeding down the freeway. And you're like, you know what? I'm too much in control. And so you just, whew, right there. And then you move over to the, you unbuckle, keeping, I guess, a brick on the accelerator. And then you move over to the passenger seat and you let God take control and, and run the show. In this way, we, uh, this is sort of a way of looking at God's work as God does everything, we do nothing. God's totally running the show. We don't really have a whole lot of input. In fact, whatever input we have is kind of derailing what God's up to. What's really cool about this text is that this text gives a template answering this question. You know, which is it, right? Which one really, or, or is there another way? This text gives a template really for how the whole Bible speaks about the relationship between God's action and our action. And so if we take a look at it and we kind of have like a kind of a, a, a general view of what's going on, we're actually going to get a key to understanding the whole scripture, which is really neat. Um, we have, it's a long text, so I'm going to break it up, and we're going to kind of go through it uh, piece by piece. But I do want to uh, bring you up to speed. Uh, last time we talked to Joseph, first he was a punk, then he, um, 
got falsely accused of uh, terrible things. And then he was sent to prison. And so he's been languishing in prison now for years. Uh, he's, and, and for those of you who are here last week, you know this is a life sentence. He's going to die in prison. And then some things happen. He meets some people. He says some stuff. Uh, if people find out that he has a gift for interpreting dreams. We'll talk more about that. And then this is what happens. So um, let's begin reading in Genesis 41. Two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing near the Nile. In front of him, seven healthy-looking fattened cows climbed up out of the Nile and grazed on the reeds. Just then, seven other cows, terrible-looking terrible and scrawny. Uh, this is just trying to get a way of, of getting Hebrew. Hebrew often repeats the same um, idea twice to really emphasize it. So this is sort of like um, uh, ugly and, and uh, thin just, just like basically walking skeleton cows, very horror-like, climbed up out of the Nile after them and stood beside them on the bank of the Nile. The terrible-looking scrawny cows devoured the seven healthy-looking fattened cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Two years later, I want to let you know where we are. So uh, Joseph, um, he's been in prison at least two years, probably longer. The reason um, that the, the text reminds us of this is if you've been following, you know that two years later, two years after what? Pharaoh's birthday. This is Pharaoh's birthday that, we, we're, that he's having this awful dream, or, and we'll see awful dreams. Um, and as a result, when you, uh, when you, in the ancient world, and really even in our Time When you're having a holiday or a birthday, it's a special time, it's exciting. And in the ancient world, if you're a king or a pharaoh, someone in charge, uh, your dreams are more important, specialer, more interesting than other people's, and may have more uh, value. And so it's very, very disturbing to pharaoh, it's very, very disturbing that on his birthday, something horrible shakes his dream. Let's uh, go on in the text. Pharaoh woke up after the skeleton cows eat the fat cows. He goes back to sleep and has a second dream in which seven ears of grain, seven like bushels of grain, full and healthy, grew on a single stalk, just big, you know, fat, like just lots and lots of grain. Just then seven ears of grain, scrawny and scorched by the east wind. These are skeleton uh, grains, like again, horror is, is really what's trying to be communicated in the Hebrew here, uh, sprouted after them. And the scrawny ears swallowed up the full and well-formed ears. Then Pharaoh woke up in a sweat and realized it was a dream. In the morning, he's still thinking about it. He's still disturbed. It's been so shocking, especially on his birthday, that he summoned all of Egypt's diviners and all of its wise men. Pharaoh described his dreams to them, but they could not interpret them for Pharaoh. Now, I just want you to think, just, just, for, just for a moment, just keep this in the back of your mind, because it is worth uh, recognizing, and it will matter later. But let's just say, because who here has had like a really bad nightmare that you remember the next day? Anyone? Have a, okay, great. Stev, never? Come on, put your hand up, man. Okay, yeah, his dreams are worse than any of yours. Um, very, very sick dreams. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so, so what, 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 here's, my, here's my suggestion. Anybody here who's had like a weird nightmare, I, guarantee, I can almost guarantee you that it did not involve, involve skeleton cows or skeleton grain. Okay, that's just not something. In fact, if you had the dream that Pharaoh had, you'd be like, okay, that's weird. 
I just want you to know, this is not something that would shock any of us here. Because dreams are very cultural things, right? And in Pharaoh's culture, this is something really important. Moreover, we tend to pay less attention to dreams than uh, they did in the ancient Near East. I think, do I have the picture of the, um, the papyrus? Is that there? Yes. This is um, a papyrus that we found. This is ancient. This was uh, a papyrus from about 1350 B.C., it's super, super old, um, and we have actually quite a bit of it. It was really well-preserved at El Medina in Egypt. This, uh, this thing, so this is maybe 100, 200 years after Joseph's time, but what's interesting about this papyrus is it's a dream manual. It's really cool. It goes through, and it, and, it, and it gives you how to interpret dreams. It's sort of like a school book if you want to become a diviner, if you want to become an ancient uh, dream interpreter. And I have a couple examples of some of the, the, the interpretations that are found in this text. Uh, if a man sees himself dead, this is good. It means a long life. That's surprising. It's kind of ironic, right? If you are in a dream and you see your own corpse, chances are you'd wake up and be like, that's scary. But the book says, no, 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 it's good. You're going to have a long life. If a man sees himself eating crocodile flesh, which we all do, this is good. It means he will be acting as an official among his people. You're going to get a promotion. You're going to be a civil servant. You know, you can get a good job if you just see yourself feasting on a crocodile in your dream. Apparently, they did actually eat quite a bit of crocodile back in, the, uh, in, ancient, uh, in ancient Egypt because there were many crocodiles on the Nile. They were very dangerous, and so they had to kill them, and then they did eat them. My favorite is this one. If a man sees himself uncovering his own backside, this is bad. It will means, it means he will be an orphan later. Uh, if you're wondering what this means, uh, if you are in your dream and you pull down your pants and show your butt, uh, then you are going to become, your parents are going to die. So, very strange. Very strange. And you could be forgiven. I, I'm not making this up. It literally says that. I, the, I, you could be forgiven for thinking. And, that maybe in the ancient world, especially in ancient Egypt, it, it, this isn't just science. There's some, something more than just science here. They really did take it seriously, but they were also having fun. If you go to somebody and you're like, yo, I had this dream where I pulled my pants down. What does it mean? Chances are if the person's like, your parents are going to die, you're not going to be like, ah! there's going to be some comedy there. It's a little bit funny. And maybe you take it sort of seriously. And so maybe you check with your parents. Also, by the way, if someone tells you, I predict that your parents are going to die, guess what? They're right. Eventually, your parents will die. They, like, I mean, unless the rapture comes, your parents will die at some point. So, you know, 15 years later, he comes back, see, told you. All I'm saying is that there is, there is a science to it. They really did believe that these things were meaningful and true, but they also, also had kind of a fun relationship to it. It was, it was, well... If you're wondering what that's like, you, like me, just need to think about what you do at about, was it like 5 p.m.? You turn on channel 7. Do we have, do we have him here? Is it? Yes. Dallas Rains. Have you guys seen Dallas Rains? He is by far my favorite meteorologist. It, it, notice that Dallas Rains doesn't just tell you the weather. He has special moves, depending on what the weather's going to be. My favorite, of course, is the pump. It's the best. This, what that means is at the end of his, his broadcast, he's like, we're going to have a great weekend, right? I'll see you at the beach, you know? And he's telling you that, hey, it's Southern California. Everything's going to be awesome. In, in danger, he does the swing. That's where he goes, look out for that, flat, that rain that's coming. It's going to be real dangerous. 
Uh, when he wants you to know that the winds are coming, he crouches in. The winds are coming. It's great, too, if you notice. Uh, you should watch the guy. He's, he's a professional. Um, his, his suit jacket never creases, even in the crouch. So he crouches, right, but everything's straight. He's got it perfectly done. Do you, does anyone sit there and they go and they're, and they're, and they're watching Dallas Rains, the meteorologist. Can you, you're taking it seriously. You're curious about the weather, right? But you're also there to be entertained. And guess what? You know, just as I know, that everything that Dallas Rains says is probably not true. Like, if you, if you sat there and kept like a, a, a weather journal and you said, every day, like Dallas predicted in seven days there's gonna be rain, you'd find out he's wrong all the time. But you don't care. You still watch him. Because sometimes he's sort of right, and whether or not he's, it's going to be a great weekend. Who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want to know that? The point uh, is that in ancient Egypt, um, diviners or dream interpreters were a lot like our meteorologists. Okay, uh, They're half entertainment and half science. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Like meteorologists, diviners in ancient Egypt were half entertainment, half science. People really did believe it, but they also wanted to, it was a, it's sort of like people who believe in, you know, palm reading or whatever. You go because you kind of want like a, an experience, but maybe the person knows what they're talking about, right? That's sort of the mentality. Like to uh, go back to the text. Uh, some time has passed, okay? So Pharaoh had this terrible dream. He goes to all of his diviners, his Dallas Reigns guys, and they're like, whoa, we're not going to touch this thing. We don't know. You know, Dallas Reigns is just not ready to go. Um, and, and, and then uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer, who knows that Joseph is a dream interpreter, tells him about Joseph. He's in he's a Hebrew, he's in jail, but he knows how to do this stuff. Pharaoh, you should check him out. And so we pick up the story. Pharaoh summoned Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed clothes, and appeared before Pharaoh. Why uh, does the Bible emphasize this? Well, it's because the Bible wants you to know that Joseph has been waiting for this day. Joseph knows that this is his moment. By this time, so much has gone, in, uh, gone on in his life that he knows that God's got a plan. He's just along for the ride. He's, Joseph's a, he's a truster at this point. Okay? And, and, if you, and if you don't believe that, then, then keep reading. It says, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. I want you to interpret it. And then I heard uh, that you can interpret dreams. Joseph says to Pharaoh this, what? He says, it's not me. God will answer peace to Pharaoh. In fact, most translations um, of this text will avoid trying to say, uh, they'll say things like, uh, God will give you an answer. Um, when in fact, the Hebrew is very clear. It's, uh, and it's weird, it's, but it's clear. It says, the Hebrew says, God will answer you in shalom, in peace. God will give you a peaceful answer. God will give you health, favor, life. Joseph hasn't even heard the dream yet. He has no idea what it is. And yet he's confident because he's been waiting for this moment. God has been with him through thick and thin. He knows he can trust God. And everyone who's in the court is watching this and they're like, did you hear the dream, you idiot? Do you have any... I the skeleton cows are consuming the fat cows. Does that sound like a peaceful, happy dream to anybody else? Joseph, before he even knows, has confidence. Why? And this is the next thing you're note sheets. Because at this point, after all he's been through, Joseph has become convinced that God is faithful. He's been waiting for this day. He knows that God has a plan. He knows that God's hand is on his life. He, he's basically walking into a situation, we'll talk about it in a moment, that could mean his death, and he doesn't care. 
Because he's been through the bottom. He's gone down to the deepest pit that you can go to, and God was faithful to him there. If God's going to be faithful to him in the, in the misery, he knows he can trust God to be faithful to him in whatever comes, comes along. And this we actually experience in our lives. We know people here. There are people in this congregation. People through the years have been in this congregation. They're usually a little bit older, but they've seen a thing or two. They've been run through the ringer, and they have a kind of settled sort of peace about them. They're never really that stressed because they've seen what God can do. They know that God doesn't quit, he doesn't give up, and so they're confident that no matter what happens, God's got his hand on it. And that's the man that Joseph has become. Interestingly, we know that at this point, it's not in our text today, but we know that Joseph's 30 years old. He has literally been a slave and in prison for 13 years since he was 17 I met uh, a person who, um, whose husband survived the Bataan Death March in World War II. Um, and said that, um, you know, that, that, that sort of kind of experience where you've gone through something that's literal horror. And, and, and in the midst, I think she said that he got down to like 80 pounds or something and was uh, drinking his own, um, uh, well, eating and drinking excrement because there was no food. That's where some people have gone. And when you've gone through something like that, and you've seen that God can be faithful even in something like that, well then when, when someone's like, oh no, the economy's turning down, you're like, me. How bad can it be? I've seen worse. I know God's going to get us through this. Let's uh, take a look back at the text. So Pharaoh shares, uh, Pharaoh shares his, his dream. He's like, the fat cows, the skinny cows coming out of the Nile. Um, the, the, the fat grains and the, the skinny grains eating the, the, the... And Joseph says this. Joseph uh, said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh has actually had one dream. God has announced to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows are seven years. And the seven healthy ears of grain are seven years. It's actually one dream that you've had, Pharaoh. The seven thin and frail cows coming, climbing up after them are seven years. The seven thin ears of grain scorched by the east winter, seven years of famine. It's just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. If you're, um, if you're one of the other diviners around, here's something I haven't told you. So, uh, okay, so just a little thought experiment. Let's just say that uh, last night you were having a dream. And in this dream, you saw a bald eagle. And next to the bald eagle, you saw sort of a turquoise statue that was tall, holding a torch with a pointy crown. And behind the bald eagle and the statue, you saw a flag. And the flag had 50 stars. It was red, white, and blue, and it had 13 red and white stripes. What would you think your dream was about? America. I mean, Harley. Really, uh, I should I should have said, yeah, oh yeah. And there's also like tanks and like you know F-15 Eagles blowing stuff up. America. Well, that's because the reason you know that immediately is because America is highly associated with those symbols. The symbol of the bald eagle. That's like our national bird or something. I I, I would have gone with the turkey, with a Benjamin Franklin. That was his suggestion. 
They taste a lot better. Um, whatever. The, the French gave us a statue. It's awesome. I've never seen it. Um, and our flag is great. But we highly associate all those things. In fact, even if you were from like a different country and you had a dream about those things, you'd be like, why was I dreaming about America? Interesting fact. Throughout the uh, ancient world, the cow, the Nile, and grain were the symbols of Egypt. To the point that even a thousand years later, when the Roman Empire had taken over things, uh, they could actually refer to Egypt by using words like the land of the plentiful cows, or, you know, the land of the Nile, right? The breadbasket. Of, of, the, uh, of the East. All of those things were so highly associated with Egypt, they were basically interchangeable. Are you telling me that all of the diviners, all of the wise men of Egypt, heard Pharaoh's dream and were like, I have no idea what this is about. Did it really take... I mean, granted, okay, they probably didn't know everything, but I mean, if you heard about the skinny cows coming out of the Nile, you saw the grain, all these symbols of Egypt, all the symbolism of death and destruction, don't you think that maybe even just like a normal, non-dream-interpreting person might kind of be like, wow, this might be bad news for our country. This could be really, really bad news for us. Wouldn't you think that maybe like the kind of person like Dallas Reigns is not the sort of kind of person who wants to bring that news to the Pharaoh? Do I have the picture, the next one? Yeah. Let's just imagine again. Let's just imagine that, uh, you know, someone like North Korea detonates a nuke in the Pacific. And uh, we know that this massive tsunami is coming. It's going to be so huge, it's going to wash L.A., right out. It's going to be like a, just a giant flushing out of the L.A. basin. We know it's coming, right? And it's, it's a day away. And they're like, we need someone to tell us the weather. And they're, are they going to put Dallas Reigns on to tell us we're all going to die? No way. That guy's gone. He, there's no fist pump. when that, If the bad news comes, Dallas is gone. We've got to find someone respectable, someone who's serious, someone who's willing to take the, take the shot and be like, this is what's happening, people. This is the truth. And that ain't Dallas Reigns. He's not the guy. Because chances are that the guy who does that is going to get shot in the ancient world. Why is that? Kings and pharaohs tend to be sort of like CEOs. And when you come to a CEO, it's never a good idea just to have bad news. (laughs) Because what CEOs are interested in is in solutions, right? And so if you come up to a CEO and you're like, hey, man, we're in trouble. The whole company's going bankrupt. Nothing we can do. He's going to be like, you're fired. Get out of here. Who's got some solutions? Right? And in the ancient world, they said, you're dead. Now who's got some solutions? It's not that the diviners of Egypt probably had the same insight as Joseph, but they probably suspected that Pharaoh's dream was not good. And they didn't want to say anything. Why? Because they'd end up dead. Joseph has just been given, by God, no less, enough rope to hang himself. Joseph has just been given a really quick way to get his head chopped off because God has given him the insight to tell exactly what's going to happen, and it is awful, awful news. Is the the next thing in the note sheets, or is it text again? I can't remember. Text. Seven years of great abundance are now coming throughout the entire land of Egypt. He's explaining the dream. 
After them, seven years of famine will appear. All of the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. No one will even remember the abundance in the land because the famine is going to be so very severe. And worse, Pharaoh, it came to you twice because God is going to do it and it's happening soon. Another way of saying that would be like, hey, Pharaoh, shoot me now. I think the, uh, yeah, the, the next thing in your note sheets is, is that um, the diviners of Egypt may have some idea of the badness of his dream, but they don't want to say anything because they know they're going to die. Joseph's the only one. And Joseph, again, he's been through the ringer. He's already been to the bottom. He's like, what are you going to do? Kill me? It's better than sleeping in, you know, where I've been sleeping. He's like, I know who God is. I'm not worried about it. He just rolls in. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, total devastation's coming. Sorry. But then he goes on. It's like, there's, <laughs> imagine the scene, right? Pharaoh's like lifting up his finger to like, like point at the, at the executioner. He's like ready to go. He's, uh, his mouth is open, like we're going to kill this guy. And then just, and now Pharaoh! You should find an intelligent, wise man. Give him authority over the land of Egypt. And then you should appoint administrators of the land, take one-fifth, 20% of all the produce of the land of, the, of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. During the good years, collect all that good stuff and store it under Pharaoh's control, protecting the food in the cities. This food will be reserved for the seven years of famine to follow in the land of Egypt so that the land will not be ravaged by the famine. Pharaoh's like, he sort of looks around. The other dream interpreter's like, man, this guy's good. <laughs> he's, wow. Yeah. We could take some lessons from this guy. And then so uh, the text goes on. This advice seemed wise to Pharaoh and all the servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man with more God-given gifts than this guy? No. And so he said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, no one is as intelligent as wa- and as wise as you are. You'll be in charge of my kingdom. You'll be second only to me. Now, question here. All right. What did God reveal to Joseph? This is an interesting question. It's worth, it's worth thinking about. What is it that God revealed to Joseph? Was it A, the seven years of, of plenty followed by the seven years of, of famine? Or was it B, the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine and the awesome plan for how to take care of business? Pharaoh seems to think it's the latter, right? He's like, God's made all this known to you. You're like this genius. No one's as intelligent, as wise as you are. If you've been with us and you've been following the story, you might be tempted, and rightly so, to think it's the former. We've known that Joseph's a shrewd, savvy guy. We've known that Joseph became that. He became a great steward. He's wise in what he does. He handles money very well. He's a, fo- a forward-thinking dude. He's, he's got it figured out. It's very likely, it's, it's likely that Pharaoh and all of his advisors are wrong. Joseph, yeah, he did get divine insight. But then he, he, he took, quick, took that, and he was like, let's put away 20%. Why is that important? Well, which is it? God helps those who help themselves or let go and let God? Or is it something else? 
Well, what we've just seen here is that um, God gives this gracious, gracious initiative of insight for Joseph. And then Joseph, being who he is, responds. God says, hey, here's, here's what the dream means exactly. Better than the diviners can figure it out. Joseph takes that information and then goes, well, we better figure something out. We better do something. God gives the grace. Joseph responds. God initiates. We take action. God's the one doing the, the revealing and the, some, the healing, sometimes the giving the insight, the intelligence. God's the one who shows. And then we respond in the proper way. When God heals, we praise him. When God, uh, when, when God gives insight or vision, we follow it and we execute it. Where, when God gives grace, we respond. It's not you go out and make your own fortune and make your own destiny. It's not God helps those who help themselves. And it's not let go and let God. It's not like you're sitting back being like, God, just, I'm tired. I need another nap. Can you just take care of all the stuff for us? Now notice something about this. When, when God gives grace, the gracious initiative that he brings into our lives is often scary and frightening and requires some pretty crazy stuff. Imagine that you're four years into the 20% plan that Joseph puts together, right? So we've been putting 20% of our grain away in the cities. Four years in, we've had these lush, wonderful harvests. Everyone in the kingdom is like, dude, this guy's crazy. Let's, let's sell some of this stuff. Let's make some money. Like, this is never going to end. We have the good times. The, the, the sunshine's never going to stop. Let's keep going. It's tough for Joseph to hold the line and be like, no, I know what God's after. I'm sticking to my guns. Do you read that, that um, the big short? There's a movie about it. You may recall that in 2008, we had a massive mortgage crisis. Um, led to almost a total collapse of a financial system. There's this great book um, by Michael Baker, who also wrote, I think that's his name, he also wrote uh, the one about football, about the offensive lineman that they turned into a movie. Blindside, yeah, he wrote that too. Great writer, a lot of fun. Anyway, he uh, follows the four people who predicted the collapse, the financial collapse. Not only did they predict it, they, they go through the financial analysis and they realize, oh my gosh, there's this mortgage debt bomb, it's going to blow up. They, one dude commits 100, or $100 million betting, betting against it. He takes money from himself and other people, everything he has, and he bets it against the market, puts all of his money where his mouth is. And boy, he's lucky that he was right because he ended up making billions but man, I mean, talk about, talk about sticking to your guns, right? Having the insight, the grace comes, he sees it, and then he's like, I'm all in. I'm all in. Joseph's the same way. We're the same way. When God initiates grace, he's often saying something like, this is going to be nuts. This is going to be scary. It's going to cost a lot. It's going to require you to really stre- you know, stretch out in faith there. It's going to be uncomfortable. But if I have spoken, if I have moved, then you have to respond. There's no other choice. Well, there is another choice, but it's, it's no good. What does this mean um, for us? I mean, if it's the case that it's not, um, you know, God helps those who help themselves, and if it's not let go, let God, if it's instead we, we live from faith to faith or from grace to grace, where every gracious initiative is met by our response, then how, how, can, we, how can we do that? How can we be those people? 
Well, there's some of us who are CEOs. Um, that's the picture, yes. You're fired. You can become president now by being a good CEO. CEOs are uh, they're, they're people who basically function. No offense if you're a CEO. I'm not, this isn't totally, I'm not, we have a couple of CEOs here. I'm going to bag on you a little bit, but I'm not bagging on you. I'm just saying, like, this is the mentality that we might have. CEOs are the kinds of people who have it all figured out. They've figured out where everything's going, and they put together its plan, and they, and they execute it, right? They're like, we're going to build this business, and we need to do X, Y, and Z to do it. And so you do that, you do this, you do that. Everything's all in the mind of the CEO, the mighty, awesome CEO. In that model, this is how we kind of Americans like this. It's like everything's under my control, right? I know the kind of person I want to be. I know the life I want to live. I'm going to make it happen by putting together a plan and executing. That's how we want to think. That's how we want to live our lives. The problem is where in the midst of any of that is there space for God's gracious initiative? Where is the space for God to kick down the door and be like, Yo, I know you think that's what you want for your life, but what about this? Or where is the space for God to be like, like, cool, I think that that's neat, but have you considered something else? Have you thought about this other thing? And boy, you're doing a great job executing this awesome plan of yours, but is there like human wreckage being smashed to the side? Have you noticed this? People who are highly effective also smash a lot of people on the way. You've got to crack a lot of eggs to make an omelet. And you might wonder at which point the Spirit of God might be like, whoa, 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 whoa. In your search for the perfect life and, and your, your amazing plans, have you somehow missed some of the boat there and left some people off to the side? I think if you're a CEO type, if you've got a great plan for your life and you're executing it and things are going well, you may want to ask yourself, am I listening? Am I open? Am I wondering if God's there and doing things? The next type of person is the Martha. These are doers. These, by the way, are my favorite Christians. Uh, if you, there's, nothing gets done without doers. Doers are the people who just put their head down and they just crush it. I love you. It's like, you just, I, I, I can just be like, oh, this is being taken care of by so-and-so. I don't need to worry anymore. Like, it's just going to get done. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's a wonderful thing. But you may wonder if you're a doer, if you just put your shoulder down. You might wonder sometimes, I, I've noticed this, where people will be like just doing and doing and doing, you know, doing whatever they think uh, they ought to be doing. And it seems to them like they're just running into a wall. It's like, it's like they're just getting burned out, crushed, miserable. They're like attacking, attacking, attacking. And they just, but they just keep going after it because that's what they do. They're bulls. Is it possible? that maybe God was out there being like, no, 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 my grace is leading this way. No, 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 my grace wants to go over here. This is where things are happening. You're like, you're actually, and it's not like you're doing the wrong things. It's good. It's not like, it's, it's not sin. It's just, you're, but you're going against the grain of where God's going. And as a result, you're just banging your head over and over and over, wondering when's this going to end? If that's the case, maybe if you're a doer, it's time to step back and be like, God, what are you up to? 
Where is your grace in my life, in this church, in our family, amongst our friends? Where are things happening? And, and, and show those to me. Enlighten me so that I can be a part of them again. So I can be going with you rather than against you. Last but not least, the most dangerous people, people like me, academics, heads in the clouds, just love ideas. Man, I could tell you, you know, if I, if I had a, if my dad ever wins those mega millions, and he tries, he only plays if it's like over a hundred million. Because if it's less than a hundred million, like it's not really enough. Because, well, no, because after taxes, they take 50%. So if you get a hundred million, you're only at 50. So anything less is not worth playing. But if it's around 350 million, that's a pretty good deal if you win that. He, he, if he ever hits that, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to sit around reading all day, every day. I, God, that's it. And praying and like, you know, eyes to the sky. Like, God, what, who, who are you? What are you like? Oh, this is great. And I'll have these amazing ideas for a utopian fix to make Christianity perfect and, and the church perfect and, and America perfect and my family perfect. I'm going to have so many awesome ideas and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at all the dirty, normal people on the ground and be like, look at you failures. If only you could come up to this place where the grace of God is its light everywhere. Then you would see what you ought to do. But far be it from me to lift a finger to make any of it happen. There are a lot of people um, who, and it's, it's a tragic thing, and it hurts me most because I see myself so much in it. Um, but there are people who, um, they spend all of their life looking for what God's up to, what he's doing, you know, where he's at, what he's like, and then they completely forget that all those revelations, all of that grace is there so that we can respond to it, you know, to like do some stuff. Never let us be a people that are all pie in the sky and never boots on the ground. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, we come to you as people who seek to be responding to your grace. That your work happens and that we respond to it. Your gospel comes and we respond in faith your insight comes and responds with wisdom and execution. God, may we not be people who wash our hands and, and let go and just expect you to fix everything. Nor, God, let us be people who are so engaged in work, work, work that we forget to make space for your insight and your grace to enter in. Instead, let Coast be a church that listens and seeks your grace and responds accordingly. And may we see fruit New faith, discipleship, transformed lives, new hope for Southern California and Orange County because we simply respond in wisdom and in, and in joy to what you reveal and do. Let us be your people and let us call on your name and let us follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.